Good morning. It's a pleasure for me to be back here with you. Um, uh, this is a, a, a place that, that is very welcoming. You guys have a, a, just a, a wonderful um, communal sense of invitation that permeates you. Uh, so I want to let you know that as, as somebody who's been a visitor here on a number of occasions, you're a, you're a nice place to visit. Um, and, so, and so thank you, and thank you for uh, this church's support for Ministry of State. Thank you for your prayer, for your encouragement, and thank you for partnering with us in what I think many people do recognize, and as, and as uh, Pastor Tom just said, is a vital ministry. And I just don't, I want to give you some very brief uh, report. Um, the Lord, it's been in this legislative session or term will be closing this coming week. And it has been an encouraging beginning for ministry to state in New Jersey. The Lord has opened a number of doors to form uh, genuine relationships. Um, so there is a receptivity in our state house, believe it or not, <laughs> among those uh, whom, who represent you. Whether you voted for them or not, they represent you in, in our state government. And so it's been an encouraging start, and I, looked, and I look for what the Lord will do in the, in the months and maybe years ahead, according to his will. So again, thank you. Um, all right, well, let me, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for uh, Calvary Presbyterian Church, Lord. I thank you for this, for this, vital, uh, this vital and vibrant uh, um, fellowship of God's people and the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of you, our Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, now I do thank you, Lord, that, that, that as you have received our offerings, that you've heard our praises, that as we've confessed our sin, that as we've lifted up our voices, Lord, now that we would listen and that we receive what only you give, the word of truth, the word of life, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord Jesus, be revealed to us and be formed within our hearts because we have met with you this morning. Amen. So let me start with a question. Uh, what is your story? When you get up in the morning, what is your life about? Now, already some of you might be pushing back and saying, listen, man, when I get up in the morning, I've got work, I've got pressure, I've got expectations, I've got, I've got family, I've got life, I've got kids, I've got expensive expenses. I'm just trying to keep things together, all right? One thing I don't have time for is to consider and ponder existential questions about what my life is about. All right, I hear you. Okay. I, I, but guess what? That's a story. That is what your life is about and the story that you're living. Whether we are being reflective or not, whether we are being conscious or not, we are living a story. There's a reason that you make the big decisions that you make, and there's a reason that you make the everyday smaller decisions that you make. And it could be that the story that you're living is the default story that our society gives us, that our culture gives us, and you're just doing your best to keep up. We adopt the culture story, our society's story, as our own story for what success is, for what, for what gives us a sense of value, a sense of worth. So again, I ask you this morning, What's your story? Who is the author of your story? This is the uh, great English writer from a century ago, G.K. Chesterton. He said, I had always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Okay, so that brings us to our reading, which is from Mark's Gospel, chapter uh, 14, verses 27 to 42. 
and then uh, ahead to uh, verses 66 to 72. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were, uh, were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And they head to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. So I imagine that for many of you here, uh, this is a familiar account. You know it. But this account also uh, pertains to the most significant events that have ever happened. These are the events that make us who we are. This is the night on which, before which Jesus dies. So we can never look at them enough or ponder them enough. So we're going to do that this morning. And so I want to divide our reading into two parts, the heart of man and the heart of God. Of course, we don't actually know our own hearts unless and until we know God. <laughs> And Jesus is the God-man, but still, it's a way for us to enter into our passage. Okay? So Jesus says, it's about to go down. What I've said is going to happen is now finally going to happen. You're all going to abandon me. You're all going to fall, and you're going to fail. And Peter says, oh, no. maybe all the rest of them, you know these guys, Jesus. Not me. I've got your back. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus says to him, oh, Peter, Peter. Tonight, just within a few hours, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter says, you've got me all wrong. I am ready to die with you. I'm going to show you what I'm all about. I will never, ever disown you. Peter is very sure of himself. He is emphatic. Jesus 
knows Peter. Peter doesn't know Peter. You don't know you. You're just as emphatic as Peter that you know, but you don't know. We think just like Peter, that everybody else doesn't know himself, but I know myself. We don't know. And that's really hard for you to accept. That's hard for me to accept. In theory, we know it's true. And if we're confessing, professing Christians, certainly we know that's true as a matter of doctrinal commitment, right? That we're sinners and we're self, you know, and so on. But in the moment, in the specific, in the nitty-gritty, in the day-to-day, that's really hard for you and I to believe. Psalm 19.12 says, Who can discern his errors? Jeremiah 17.9, which may be a familiar uh, verse to you, and it always proves true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Following Jeremiah 17.9, maybe less familiar, is Jeremiah 17.10. I, I the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Peter doesn't know Peter. Jesus knows Peter. Every word the Lord speaks about Peter is realized just as he says. Jesus knows you. The Lord knows you. God knows you. And this word that we have tells us about ourselves in a way that we would never, ever otherwise know. We can look in here, you can look in here and find a mirror to your soul. So you must spend time with the Lord through his word and by his Holy Spirit who applies his word to have him tell you about you. Psalm 139, oh Lord, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and, and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, tell me about me. I plead with you. Show me my own heart. And if you and I don't do this regularly, daily, we will walk around emphatically believing things about ourselves that are, that are the exact opposite of what's true. Now, knowing about ourselves isn't simply, simply something we do on our own, but we do actually with others together. Christianity is deeply, intensely personal. But it is not individual. There is a difference. It is most personal, but it is not by yourself. So Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sins tells us lies that resonate with our own sinful hearts to turn us away from the living God. And one of the primary words, our own hearts are searched by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, is through others who are themselves having their hearts searched by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God. God brings us together. And so you must have people in your life who are God's instruments to tell you the truth about you the way Jesus does for Peter here. Do you have such people? Is there anyone in your own life who can tell you the truth, who you have given access 
to you to tell you the truth about you. Is there anyone like that? Because according to Hebrews, you need that every day. (laughs) And so it is for this purpose. One of the primary ways, right, obviously there is a command that we are given in the scriptures to love one another. It's a very familiar one. We find it all over the place. So one of the primary ways that we love one another church, the Lord has brought you together for this purpose. It is one of the primary purposes that he has brought you together to one another in him that you might speak the truth in love to one another and be receptive to receiving that. Because according to the scriptures, you don't know you, but the Lord and his word and his spirit and God's people together can help you know, can help you know you the way God knows you. So I take these matters to heart. Now, one of the reasons Peter doesn't know him, didn't know himself is because he didn't know Jesus in the way that he thought he knew Jesus. He knew him, but he didn't know him the way he really is. There was more to discover. There's always more to discover. So up until this point, from the time Jesus has first called Peter, Peter knows that Jesus is the one that he must follow. So in John 6, John 6 is a long chapter. And towards the sort of the second half of that long chapter, Jesus begins to make a number of statements that are provocative, and they make people upset. And they increasingly walk away. And Jesus keeps talking, and they keep walking away because the offense keeps heightening and increasing and intensifying. So people leave and they are offended, and then Jesus finally turns to his, his disciples, the 12, and he says, Will you leave too? And Peter answers, as he is wont to do, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, if not you, where are we going? If it's not you, then who? So there's a title of a book. The title of the book is called Christ or Chaos. It's a small book. By the author's name is Dan DeWitt. I can, you know, it's sort of, it's, I guess we passed college graduation season, but we're still sort of in high school graduation season. So it would be a really good gift for your high school graduate. Maybe a, a young person that you're actually, it's a good, it's a really good book for anyone. Anyway, but that's the, the, the title of the book is Christ or Chaos. And that's the reality. It's either Jesus or the dark, meaningless, chaotic void. There is no door number three. And Peter gets that. And I trust and hope that many of you get that because on some level, it's, one of the, it's what it means to be a Christian, is to get that deep down in your bones and to wake up knowing that every day. Jesus, it's either you or chaos today. Help me. But then right here at the end, the Jesus who is, the Lord of glory, the incarnate Son of God, turns out to be different from the Jesus Peter expects. So that Peter ends up being repelled. He ends up being offended and separating himself from Jesus when confronted with having to make a choice. He didn't know that about himself until he was forced to make a choice that he was not prepared to make. 
Are you prepared to make that choice? If you should so have to make it. So this is probably my favorite um, C.S. Lewis quote of all time. Um, uh, this is from his book, A Grief Observed. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast, which means image breaker. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And most are offended by the iconoclasm, and blessed are those who are not. There will come a point in time when Jesus will offend you, that he will be different from what you want him to be and what you expect him to be. And then what will you do? To whom will you go? Who's in charge of your life? What is your story? What is your life about? Is it you who's in charge, who doesn't know himself or herself? Or is it Jesus who knows you and loves you at the same time? To whom will you go? Now, if Jesus had fought in the way that Peter had expected him to fight, I think he might have been there with him. He might have lived up to his words. Because remember that Peter, we read in the, the part of the passage that I didn't read, that Peter had a sword. He came, he came ready for something. But what does Jesus say to him? Put away your sword. How do I fight without a sword? I don't know how to fight without a sword. Question, does Jesus not fight at all? No. The point isn't that Jesus doesn't fight. Jesus does not not fight. I know that's a double negative, but you get what I mean. That's against the rules. But, right. but Jesus conquers. Jesus crushes the serpent's head. Jesus slays the dragon. Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus fights differently for different goals. Jesus isn't interested in fighting the th for the things you and I fight for and fight about. What Peter was ready to fight for is what we're all usually ready to fight for. We, so that, you know, to seek to preserve our place in a sinful, dying world facing judgment and hell. Give me a piece of that real estate. I want more of it. I want more of that pie. What we fight for changes nothing. What Jesus fights for is eternal and complete. What Jesus fights for changes everything. For what Jesus fights for and gives his life for is the conquest of the human heart to make it his own. What Jesus fights for is the removal of the heart of stone to give us hearts of flesh in which he reigns supreme. Though Peter didn't know it, Jesus was fighting for Peter. Jesus fights for you. He fights to make you his. He fights to make you holy his. He fights to make a holy people who are holy his. Brothers and sisters, what do you fight for? What do you go to battle for every day? And pour out your, your life for? What do you devote yourself to? What is your story? Is it the victory, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ down to the depths of your soul and through you then out into the world to others? 
is it that his name would be hallowed and his kingdom would come and will would be done. Are you fighting Jesus' way for what Jesus died and rose again to give to you? 2 Corinthians 5, 15. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died to make your heart his own. Now, the heart of God, or more properly, the heart of the God-man. So after Jesus says what's going to happen, and Peter attempts to refute him falsely, not knowing himself, it says Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. So he knows what Peter is going to do, He knows what they're all going to do, and yet he brings them close to him. He remains completely committed to them and for them. You and I don't instinctively have a place for loving, for being committed to those who deny us, those who fail us, right? That's that's not part of any of our stories, right? We're like, if somebody is like that, then we're like, we really can't be in a relationship anymore. I, you failed me. At my, moment, my moment of greatest need, you abandoned me. You denied me. We're, this can't continue. Right? Away with you. Be gone. That's how we do things. And there's something sensible about that, I guess. But that's not how Jesus does things. He says, you're a terrible sinner, you're a coward, you're a liar, you're going to abandon me, and you're going to deny me. Come with me. I want you to be with me. I'm going to love you forever. Jesus Christ makes a family, a kingdom of such people. You're mine. That's what he does. That's what this is. Where will you find anyone like that? Where? To whom will you go? What is your story? This is how John's gospel puts it. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's committed to you to the end, all the way through. He knows you to the end, knowing all about you. His love is steadfast, unfailing, and it is enduring through all of your sin and enduring through all of his suffering. Do you see that? Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? Does your life depend this morning on that being true? Then after that, in the next few sentences, we read among the most remarkable words that have ever been written. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. (laughs) Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Jesus is overwhelmed. He is deeply distressed. The word word troubled in in our text can mean amazed, astonished. What was it that so overwhelmed Jesus? What was it that amazed him, that astonished him, that horrified him, so that he flinched before it and said, anything but this. I'll take anything, but not actually this right now I am shaken by. Jesus stared into and had fall upon him your sin and my sin and all of our sin. This is the horror, the awfulness, the ugliness, the depravity, the godlessness of sin. 
That's what caused the Son of God to drop to his knees in anguish as he absorbed it into his own holy, perfect soul. Can we take to heart what caused such horror and astonishment to Jesus' heart? The fact is, you and I don't have this kind of relationship to sin. We're comfortable with it. We comfortably coexist with sin. <laughs> like, ah, this is kind of, it's kind of, oh, I'm the only human, whatever. I'm not perfect. You know, the litany of things that we say or think. But Jesus, when he was confronted with sin and suddenly had, for the first time, was encountering it within his own heart detested it with every fiber of his being. It repelled him. It disgusted him. It horrified him. Can we hate and detest and with the help of God's spirit through faith see sin in this light? Ask God to help us so that we would, so that we would desire to separate ourselves from that which is so hideous, that which is so awful. Abhor what is evil, the scripture says, and cling to what is good. Flee temptation. Don't mess with it. Run for your life. Jesus absorbed what is abhorrent, what was abhorrent to him, what he so detested, so that you would not live in it any longer so that you would not be captive to it, so that it would no longer dominate you and master you and beat you up every day and then forever. Friends, the the only way at the end of the day not to hate yourself is to hate your sin. I'm not saying to hate yourself. Scriptures never tell you to hate yourself, but it does say to hate your sin. At the end of the day, that's what will ultimately happen. You will either hate your sin or end up hating yourself and everyone else. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you this kind of insight into your sin that so repulsed our Lord and King that you might walk in the freedom of a child of God. Now, as Jesus has our sin fall upon him, what does he experience? He experiences the separation from God, the darkness, the hopelessness, the despair, the wrath, the opposition and anger of God upon sin and upon sinners. That's what's in front of him, within him, overtaking him and crushing him. And yet he holds on. As he loved his own to the end, he loves God, his Father, to the end. Ah, but not what I will, but what you will. This is what makes him who he is. In the crucible, in the fire, in the time of his greatest suffering, as his heart is flooded with the pain of sin, he perseveres, he endures, he holds on for your sake. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you believe that this morning? And in so doing, He can help you to do the same in your time of temptation. He endured, he held on all the way through as he was tempted. Turn to him, ask him to help you. Lord Jesus, help me. I need your help. You who who knew, who was like me in every way and was tempted in every way but without sin can help me. I need you. I need you today. I need you this morning. I need you this afternoon. I need you for what I'm about to face. I need you for what I'm feeling right now. And he does, and he answers those prayers. 
Those are, he is a living Lord. He's not a set of propositions. He's the living Lord who reigns at the right hand of the Father. Now, Jesus knew that death was not the end of the matter. For Jesus, there was resurrection joy on the other side of the sorrow of sin. There was joy through the sorrow. Friends, it's the only way to joy. That's why in verse 28 in our reading, after Jesus says to his disciples that he will suffer and they will fail, he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying to them, this isn't the end. I will triumph. I will rise. I will gather you to myself so that my resurrection becomes your resurrection. He said this to his disciples repeatedly. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I will rise. But they can't hear it. Every time he says it, they're like, what, is he, what does this mean? We don't know. It's all so confusing. They can't hear it. Why? Why? Why can't they hear it? Why can't they understand it? Because he's telling them a different story than the one that they expect. And so they can't accept the story that Jesus is, is the central character of and the one that he's writing. So all of there, there's this amazing promise of resurrection at the end. After I will go before you, I will rise. There's this amazing promise of resurrection. They can't hear it. They can't understand it. Why? Because it's death to resurrection. It's suffering to glory, and they have other plans. Can you hear it? Can you hear the story, or do you have other plans besides this one? This is the only way. It's the story of the scriptures. It's the story of the world. It's the story of all of our lives. It's deliverance from sin through suffering. First his and then yours in him. You will face dread. You will face darkness. You will face distress. That's unmistakable. If you've lived for any period of time, you know that. You know what I'm talking about. And if you face them without the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be crushed, you will be overwhelmed, and you will be destroyed. And you will face a despair that never, ever, ever runs out. But if when he says to you, come with me, in whatever condition you're in, whatever sinful state you're in, whatever state of, of horror or suffering or distress or tribulation or famine or nakedness or sword, right? you simply take his hand and just simply take his open hand and just find him gripping you back. Then you are his and he will never, ever, ever let you go. So that in whatever you experience, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Whatever his sufferings come your way, make you more like him and work his resurrection power into you. I will go before you and I will rise. What are you facing? What are you dealing with? What are you afraid of? What do you dread? The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. Jesus says, I will rise and I will go ahead of you. And he has. 
and he makes you his own. Remember those words. To whom will you go? What is your story, friends, this morning? What a story. What a story. What, what, a, what an author. What a king. What a Lord. He invites you to come. Have him search your heart and reign in it supremely and together follow him wherever he leads you, ultimately to resurrection and to glory. May that be your story this morning, Calvary Presbyterian Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bow our hearts before you, and we ask that you would come and search our hearts and reign in them supremely, Lord. Thank you that you love to the end, that it does not depend on how good we are, that we haven't failed, for you know, you know us better than we know ourselves, and you love us to the end. May we live in that love and that authority, (laughs) the love and authority that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for you, who for our sakes died and rose again. Lord, we thank you that in all these things we are more than conquerors. We thank you for bearing our sin, for bearing the horror of it. Help us to live as those who detest sin the way you detest sin and love you the way that you love us. Thank you that you are faithful and we love you. We praise you for for being such a suffering and glorious Savior. And in Jesus' name we pray, in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit, to you, our Father. Amen.